Good morning, good morning, St. Paul. What's up, Twin Cities? <laughs> it is your favorite unbougie foodie, Wesley, right here on sun Saturday morning. I was going to say Sunday. Wow. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Uh, it's a little dreary out there. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to rain or not. But anyway, you're here with me. So I want to thank you uh, and definitely offer you an opportunity to chat with me, have some really interesting articles or topics, I should say. Um, one is a really great interview that I had with uh, a chef over at uh, a local eatery. It is called Waldman Brewery and Worcestery, <laughs> and he'll explain that shortly uh it's a recorded interview so this is a kind of a first sort of uh you know there's always growing pains and so forth but anyway let me first give you the telephone number to get in contact with me here at the radio station which is 651-200-3479 again 651-200-3479 please make sure that uh you if you have any comments questions or suggestions about the show or whatever Please feel free to uh, give me a call or, you know, as always, you could always drop me a message. You could find me on Facebook at The Unbougie Foodie. Uh, I, I could possibly answer a question or two if you'd like on Facebook. Um, but also, if you just want to follow me and figure out, you know, what is he doing? What is it? What has he been up to? What are the foods that he's been eating recently? Um, yeah. Check out my Instagram, which is the underscore unbougie foodie. And then there is Twitter, which is at unbougie foodie. And I have a website so that you are able to you know, see articles that I've written as well as catch up on past uh, shows and so forth. Um, you know, my shows are recorded. So although they're live, they are recorded so that conveniently others will have an opportunity to listen to them at their convenience if they've missed it uh, on a Saturday morning. Uh, but that is www.theunbougiefoodie.com. Once again, www.theunbougiefoodie.com. And I just want to, yeah, I want to kind of start. Wow. Okay. That was the chair. <laughs> um, again, thanks so much. Take a time, take a moment, sit back. Um, and just check out the show. So, just, oh man. <clears throat> to start off, I want to go ahead with that interview. 
which is again uh, Waldman Brewery. Um, I am sitting down with Chef Carl Gerstenberg. Burger. I'm sorry. Thank you so much, Chef, for being here or for inviting me here. Let me put it that way. Um, and just taking a few moments to you know, answer a few questions. Um, first off, please tell us um, a little bit about Waldman uh, and if folks are not familiar with the terminology of uh, a worstery. Yeah. Uh, Waldman is a recreation of a business that started back in the 19th century, actually 1857, the building that we're in, the oldest commercial building in, in the Twin Cities, uh, was a lager beer saloon. And uh, so we're essentially, uh, through a process of research and, and then through the restoration of the building, reanimating what it once was but um, uh, the, the the brewery aspect of what we're doing it's a brewery it's Waldman brewery and worstery mm -hmm. the brewery aspect was not part of the original business plan for Anton Waldman in 1857 okay uh, he would likely have bought beer from the Stallman brewery the Stallman family uh, and it likely wasn't a worstery worstery is a made-up word uh, that uh, uh, conveys the fact that we're sausage sausage focused. At the center of the plate is is uh, house made sausage. Nice. Using proteins from farms in Iowa and uh, Wisconsin, and uh, kind of observing the tradition of German sausage making, classic German rockwurst and uh, different forms. Uh, the, the business has been open for seven months, mm -hmm. and it is. Uh, about as unusual as it comes. Uh, okay. Physical plan. It, it feels a little bit museum-like, and uh, it's basically because it was restored to that level. Uh, the original building, limestone on the front, timber frame on the back, and now a new third section of the building, which is the brewery and kitchen gotcha. on the back side, uh, was just done with a lot of care and a lot of love, and uh, the craftsmen that were involved, and that's blacksmiths, stonemasons, carpenters. Uh, I remember when you were, when you, uh, I think I came for an opportunity just to, like the first yeah. viewing, if you would, of the space, yeah. and you all were showing a wonderful, wonderful video that showed all that craftsmanship that was going on yeah. with it. It's a super high commitment on the owner's part. The owner lives in the neighborhood, has lived here for 25 years. He's not a restaurateur. He's a home brewer, but he doesn't have not run a German brewery, which is what we feature on the backside of the business. And he is a uh, attorney by profession and a history nerd uh, in the best sense of that. Uh, has a medieval history master's in his, in his academic background. But then he's done a lot of pro bono work for people in the Twin Cities who are who are pursuing the historic reuse, historic preservation of, of buildings. And so he's he's lit up by that, and that's kind of the, the main reason that he he got excited by this project. And then, uh, the process of discovering who who originally founded this building wasn't known in the neighborhood that this was a lager beer saloon. Okay. Uh, so Tom had to research that and dig in at the state and at the history uh, history center. 
discover what what this business really was, and, uh, and then archaeological uh, re uh, recovery of stuff on site. Right. There were three home sites on where the business is located now, and seven privies. Okay. These houses, <laughs> privies or time chambers. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of you don't want to think too too much about that, but uh, actually, as they got phased out. They turned into places where you could just leave household debris, including okay. ceramics and bottles and, and various things. Gotcha. The coolest find, and I won't go too deep on it, the coolest find was a, a hand-cut brass trade stencil, and it's on display in the main floor of the restaurant in the saloon that has the, the walnut name on it. Nice. It's a folded-up piece of brass, and by trade stencil, I mean it was something that was used to paint the walnut name either on a barrel or on a bag. He was in the seed business, feed business as well. But, uh, so it was the same labeling or innate uh, font and everything that is being used right now? It's, uh, it's, very, it's just hand cut and it's something that was riffed on pretty heavily by the, the people that did the design work for our logo and, and helped, helped uh, get the brand together. Really, really ran with that. Okay. And the other element on, on the logo is uh, is a is a reference to the fact that we use oil lamps to light the place, which makes it unusual right there. They're originally whale oil lamps. There are no whales on the Mississippi. Nope. <laughs> there is it. <laughs> so, but we run liquid paraffin and now they're double wick lamps. So the the Waldman logo is a riff on that brass stencil, but it's also stylized to look like uh, it has two flames above the W. Okay. Which is a reference to the, the oil lamp. So That's so cool. Every, everything runs deep. And everything seems that, well not seems, but everything has a meaning. I mean, down to the furniture, the aesthetics, uh, yep. the utensils and, and everything, yep. uh, it was, I, I want to say, period pieces uh, that were thought out yep. and that were actually brought back to life if you would yep. um, for the for the restaurant um, what type of cuisine uh, I know that seems like an odd question to ask yeah. because uh, Worstery. <laughs> right? but, but what other type of items we, are we recognize vegetarianism and veganism in the world but uh, that's uh, when you when you, come to a worst, <laughs> when you come to a worstery uh, there's it should be at least a base expectation that, that meat is center of the plate. Um, we occasionally will make um, uh, vegetarian soups, okay. um, not often, okay. uh, and we have ways to navigate through the, through the menu in a way that is uh, uh, friendly to people who uh, are either not pork eaters or not meat eaters generally. But, uh, the happy side of the menu, um, it's narrow and focused and uh, the aesthetic of it is uh, German sausage and, and accompaniments that go well with beer. Okay. Because predominantly we're, we're, we're a brewery and a worstery. Uh, we manufacture our own beer on site, 15 barrel lager specific brewing system. So the, the, the combination of food and beer in German culture is they're kind of one thing. Right. And it, here, uh, the way beer has evolved in our culture is a little different. but. Um, basically what we want is uh, a lot of simple food that is based on some German culture points, but it's cooked with local ingredients and it's cooked 
fresh. And the, the menu itself is a, a little bit different. Uh, there are five different bursts that you can choose from. Um, Interesting. And, and 10 different sides. And depending on how you order it, there are different price points and different ways to order your way through the menu. But you can kind of come in and eat your appetite. And so if you feel like potatoes, you can get mashed potatoes and potato salad. Oh, wow. If you feel like pickles, you can have pickled beets and pickled cucumbers. And wow. uh, different ways to combine things and kind of tailor it to your diet, to your, your preferences, and to where your appetite is on a given day. I kind of bow down to brasa <laughs> a lot um, okay. in the style of being able to get small amounts of foods that are appealing to you. You don't have, there's not one portion size, there are various portion sizes, and there's a way to navigate it so that you can kind of eat what you want to eat. Understood. I noticed that you have, and I please correct me if I'm wrong, but um, is there a charcuterie? Uh, yep. on, or charcuterie. Yeah, I, you got it. Yeah. I always pronounce it incorrectly. Charcuterie that yep. you also offer as well. Uh, the We have something called the sliced meat plank and also a sliced cheese or a cheese plank uh, in both instances featuring local local cheeses, local charcuterie. Okay. Um, if you were to see, and I'll show it to you here, Ned, the, the kitchen and storage situation that we have here, we're not blessed with a lot of space. Understood. So there's, uh, if, if we had a in-house curing program and all of the tools necessary to do it, I, I'd love to do that. And uh, un unfortunately with the way we're, we're set up, uh, it's just a, a fresh sausage program that we're able to run okay. due to space limitations. So we, we celebrate uh, local product, mainly Red Table Meat in Northeast Minneapolis. I love them. Yeah, <laughs> mortadella, uh, royal ham, and Francois salami oh, wow. Red Table. Then we do um, just chunks of bacon, bacon lardons from uh, Peterson Craft Meats and Osceola. They're all awesome. <laughs> what's, wrong, what's wrong with a chunk of bacon? Exactly, and, nothing. <laughs> and then, um, then the one one exception to the local, we bring in some imported uh, dry cured spec, which is a smoked, uh, like a smoked prosciutto uh, from, from Italy. Nice. Otherwise, all local meats. And... Uh, would I like to be able to uh, do charcuterie here, in-house charcuterie? Yes. Is it in the future? I hope so. But we have got great representation from, from Red Table. And That's awesome. We're, we're happy with the way that runs. What is in the future for yourself and for uh, Waldman? Um, seeing it grow further than what it is right now or just for yourself personally? Yeah. yeah I, I immediately, it's kind of front of mind right now because it's happening as we speak. There's a construction crew outside. Yeah, I think everyone can hear that. <laughs> That's doing, okay. Doing work on, on the, the ramp on the front side of our beer garden, which is going to be opening. So that, that's, uh, that's, that's front of mind. Uh, it's going to see, depending on how people uh, like being near each other, it's going to seat somewhere upwards of 40 people, uh, 30 to 40 people possibly more if the weather is just beautiful right. and uh, we're going to be finishing that off in, in the next two to three weeks and hope to be open by uh, end of June. That's awesome. June to end of June. Still some time for the summer and everything yeah. and getting people out on the patios because you know we know that Minnesotans love their patio seasons and so forth. April, so April, April blizzards. <laughs> uh, Bring 
Bring May patio. <laughs> very true, very true. And within a short space of time, because what, it was less than a month ago that we were in a blizzard? Anyway, enough about that. But, you know, it is a beautiful space. Um, I know that, um, you know, when we, when I first came to view it, or with many others that were here, um, there was so much talk about um, it's it's new people were questioning about if if it was going to do well in the community and wasn't uh, was there some type of um, I, I can't recall if there was some issue with it being built here or being constructed yeah, that, that, here. That's, that was a tightly managed well um, yeah, you're correct it, it, it is we're 17 feet away from another brewery. Okay. Um, the back side of our business, or the, the side of our business, is Bad Weather Brewing, which okay. runs on West 7th. And this um, this building was and is uh, zoned residential. And so through the city, uh, there had to be a, a process, and there were a number of hearings involved, uh, 13 hearings uh, to establish the business on its current footing. The zoning ordinance was changed to accommodate historic use variances. So this was originally a lager beer saloon, and we were able to, to, to not change the neighborhood zoning, but able to locate this in a, in a neighborhood, and that's now something that we can do in St. Paul. Understood. Um, I don't want to make too much of that, other than uh, there's been a, a ton of community support, and like any project that's in a neighborhood or Thing that involves a degree of change there are going to be forces that are kind of digging their heels in and saying no right. and frankly i might be one of those people if something <laughs> were happening in my neighborhood I, no. I really want to understand it so when i said it was tightly managed uh tom lives in the neighborhood he's five doors down an alley from here knows the neighbors has been here for 25 years and so he's he really values everybody and there's been his listening uh years have been on throughout the whole process and we are uh, we're low impact uh, that's easy for me to say uh, but we're very aware of, of uh, noise outside the business uh, that beer garden is going to close at 9 p.m. Understood. the people who are sleeping in the neighborhood uh, we have located our entrance on the alleyway okay rather than on the front side of the business because there are people that sleep over there Understood. so we're kind of Kind of trying to keep our uh, keep our manners about us and be good neighbors to the people who are living here, and, and we've gotten about through a petition process for the beer garden itself, uh, we've gotten over 90% of the neighbors' uh, owners and, and residents in the neighborhood to sign off on the beer garden. That's so awesome. There's good community support for it. And then, of course, when they understand that you all are going to be respectful with respect with you know, in reference to that, of course, they're going to you know kind of go along with it. So that's really positive and everything for the for the neighborhood and the community. Um, and what about yourself personally? I mean, I know you were mentioning it before. Uh, is it something that you are willing to talk about? Um, you know, right now, you know, I, I said chef. Uh, Carl, yeah. Yeah. but um, is there any other roles or positions that you're actually going to be taking on uh, in reference to Waltman? Yep, um, we started this um, business seven months ago. Actually, prior to that, as a as a management team, a co-equal approach, and we decided in advance of the beer garden uh, opening up, we needed to have a little bit of uh, uh, 
up and down hierarchical structure. So I'm in addition to managing the the kitchen, I've um, taken on uh, general management of the business. So that's uh, that's a good learning curve for me, and I love to be in learning mode. And we're figuring out the service plan that's going to work best for for the uh, for the summer operation. Fun, fun learning. Uh, beyond that, um, year two and beyond, I want to be looking at uh, possibilities for expanding the business. And, uh, first things first, we're going to go through a, uh, year one of successful operation and, and get the beer garden ready to launch. But uh, there's uh, talk of catering. Okay. Uh, not not a wild, unlimited catering division, but German uh, specific sort of the same food and drink that we're serving in-house, but in a, in a go plan, in a, in a mobile plan, whether that's truck-based. Interesting. There's, there's some pretty distinctive uh, German grills and German rotisseries that are showy and would be a fun part of the catering operation eventually. Wow, so that's uh, amazing considering that, uh, like you said, that you've opened within the seven-month time frame. I mean, I'm not saying that it's immediate that's happening right yeah. now, but it's something for growth and something that's going to be uh, for not only the community, but for your business yep. to look forward to. That's exciting. So congratulations on that, or at least on your plans. No, 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 yeah, good luck. Yes, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, well, you know what? I don't want to take up too much more of your time and everything. I know you're busy. Construction's going on and everything, so he's got to get back to work. Thank you so much for joining uh, me, folks, uh, for the Unbougie Foodie. This is Wesley Wright. Chef Carl, thank you so much for having me. Uh, this it. has been a, bit of a great pleasure. So um, uh, good luck on your future endeavors and everything for Walman. All right. All right. Thanks, take, take care. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the interview. It, like I said, it's always a, uh, it's always something, a, a new process, uh, something new. We're trying to reinvent the show and, and, and so forth and give you opportunities to find out about chefs that are in the neighborhood, restaurants that are in the neighborhood. As you know, uh, I always say that. I always talk about the, you know, foods in the neighborhood, uh, new cuisines and, and, and whatnot, and that was you know your your umbuji foodie was out <laughs> trying to get that information for you and make it a little bit more personal um so you could find out more about the chef you know sometimes you have to kind of reach out to them and and work within their schedules it's not always that they will have the opportunity to come into the radio station so you know i really want to thank chef carl gerstenberger for uh, taking the time and just sitting down with me it was about 15 or 20 minutes but um it was a lot of information and, and i appreciate you all as well for hanging in there and listening uh to the interview up it was helpful i do want to tell you some information about waldman like where it's located because that's important uh it is located at 445 um smith avenue that's in st paul 55102 um, definitely visit their website uh, to find out more information about the items that are on the menu, 
the different events that they would actually be having. That's going to waldmanbrewery.com and that's W-A-L-D-M-A-N-N-B-R-E-W-E-R-Y.com. Again, waldmanbrewery.com and you'll find out more information, um, further information about them uh, and the backstory. It's a really interesting history uh, and that's why I was hoping and glad that he did talk a little bit about the history of it. Uh, it, it's, it was very interesting um, just initially being at the space. It hadn't even opened yet. And they had, I think it was an investor um, Kickstarter uh, that they had. And they wanted to show people the space, give them um, some perspective on what the space was going to actually look like. So what it looks like now um, you can envi- you could have envisioned it at that particular time. So eight months, seven, eight months ago, prior to its opening, um, you know, it it was a, a great historic building, um, but now it is being utilized still back uh, for you know brewery and a roostery. <laughs> get tongue-tied uh worstery w-e-w-u-r-s-t-e-r-y and like he explained it is it's about um meats and brats and sausages and so forth so what a combination i mean you have you know some ale adult beverages of course not to say that it is not a family restaurant um but also you know you could really say meat and potatoes restaurant um, because that's really what it is. Um, but it's German uh, offering all these different sausages and brats and meats. And yeah, it has gotten some really great reviews, by the way, too. Just saying, putting that out there. Anyway, um, again, I want to thank um, the chef for, again, um, taking that time. It was a, a great experience. Of course, there was a little bit of an audio issue, as you could hear. <laughs> there was a lot of construction going on, a whole lot, um, and you know, it was a it was a new experience for for your um, f- your foodie friend here. <laughs> um, and admittedly, you know, I turned my my I adjusted my microphone to uh, 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 I guess a a very sensitive uh uh i don't know <laughs> uh range if you would and so of course you heard me and then but you heard the sh- you kind of barely heard the chef amongst all the construction anyway we got that straightened out future interviews will definitely not be that way i assure you of that um so just be like I said, there's always a first for everything. And of course, I am here to make sure that that happens. <laughs> uh, so I hope you hang in there with me too, as we, <laughs> sometimes we have little bumps in the road, but that's okay. Oh, moving on. Um, you know, I was a, a friend in the past so often you've heard me talk about food deserts uh, and 
you know specifically that terminology and what it actually means and and so forth well you know i think i need to change that and not i think i i i know that i'm going to change that because a specific food justice um activist i believe her name is karen um washington she actually helped change my mind about why we should say something other than food desert uh, and it was specifically talking about food equality um you know racism for food justice um and specifically it was the terminology that she said to use or that what she was encouraging uh is food apartheid and i'll talk about that in just a second but i want to bring out a few points um in an article that was written specifically on that subject um and why it should really be referred to as a food apartheid um rather than food desert which i thought was just was fascinating too um specifically uh, she mentioned that you know referring to it as a food desert makes it makes people think or it, it you would give it would give the impression that that specific area it's empty it's desolate it has nothing of life and that is really just the opposite when it comes to certain communities and whatnot um because as we know especially on the east side um, there's a lot of life and vibrancy uh, in this community and in this neighborhood and so much potential as well. And that's what that article was mentioning, that rather than referring to it as a food desert, why not refer to it as food apartheid? Because food apartheid, that referring to it as that, it makes individuals, community leaders, they look at a whole food system um, overall. And that's in reference to race, um, geography, um, people's faith, uh, as well as the economics that are within the community as well. Um, by saying food apartheid, um, it goes on to say that by saying food apartheid, um, you get to get to the root cause of some of the problems that are around in the food system. Um, it brings in, uh, you know, the situations of hunger as well as poverty and then ask more important questions of why a specific area is facing that food apartheid or the inequalities that they have within that community versus uh, if you would those on outside of that community so what are some of the social inequalities that you see and what uh, are you doing to actually erase some of those injustice injustices um so it really makes it it's it's a wonderful um i guess phrase that i feel that again i need to change um when i'm talking about food um, justice and uh, equality you know when we we think of uh, those those areas and we've talked about it in the past um, and about injustice and food equality. Um, we know that we have opportunities or uh, there are neighborhoods or communities that have opportunities uh, to 
go to maybe a food pantry or food kitchens. Um, but we know that really those are just, they're, they're really for just reserves or for emergency purposes. But unfortunately, because of the situations of certain communities, whether it be economic, um, racial, any equality that uh, is faced, that community is faced with, um, if you would, from the outside, it has like a separation of the us and them. Um, it becomes a way of life to rely on those food pantries and those kitchens. And that's that's not really a way to to live, if you would. But the article specifically that um, uh, food um, activists, food justice activists, again, Karen Washington, she created an organization called um, Black Urban Growers. And uh, if you're interested in finding out more about that, I mean, I'll talk uh, briefly about it or touch on some important uh, points, but specifically blackurbangrowers.org. Um, and they are an organization that's committed to building uh, networks um, and community support for growers in both urban and rural settings. Uh, and they do this by education as well as advocacy around farm uh, and food issues. Uh, and they also nurture uh, black leadership you know, so that they would have a seat at the table um, and at, as a collective group. Um, and what makes that exciting, too, is that, you know, I don't although we haven't seen much of it or I'll say myself personally <clears throat> have not seen much of it within the Midwest, um, more and more across the nation, um, there are black farms or farmers um, establishing themselves in the food world. And, and what better way? Um, and what better organization actually to help them along that path to, you know, again, black urban growers. Um, it's a nationwide organization. Now, of course, I love I love uh, the acronym that goes along with it. It's called bugs, you know, for black urban growers, um, <laughs> which is it's kind of cute, but it it's a it's a great organization. Um, it started in November 2009, uh, and they started organizing and hosting all, a series of community events um, with the purpose of, you know, starting a conversation um, around food. Uh, since that time period, they've had or, or created um, conferences where they're bringing together black farmers. They're talking about food justice um, advocates, uh, educating people. Uh, along with um, encouraging chefs to be involved and uh, other concerned members of black communities across the country so that they could share those practices and then build a stronger network of of leadership. Um, you know, so th again, I, I mentioned that um, again because, you know, it, it was an organization that she created uh, and it, it was needed. Uh, it was definitely needed. And because we are in this sustainable food food movement that we're in um you know we we really have to rethink our approaches on um food policies um and what food is available or how food can be made available to those in uh in areas that don't have the right type of food 
for them to live a healthy uh, lifestyle. Um, in the past, you know, researchers have, have shown or just studies have shown that a lot of times when there is help, you know, there farm, farmers do get actually help from the government. But a lot of times those are just specifically assigned to white farmers, unfortunately. Uh, and that leaves a lot of African-American farmers or black farmers kind of out um, you know so that's why folks have to rely on food pantries or even when they are relying on food pantries the things that people think about when you know they see someone that's at a food pantry is you know it's they stigmatize folks you know they're seeing folks that are poor uh, they're standing in the line they're getting food as a handout well, but if there's not opportunities for um, you know, people of color to have a means of perhaps growing their own food, producing their own food, um, living a sustainable lifestyle, um, perhaps on on their terms, growing vegetables. You know, I'm quite sure that people are not thinking, OK, I I'm good with just living on McDonald's. I'm quite sure if they had the opportunity to grow their own fruits and vegetables uh, they would do so uh, I think that is a it's a way of uh, taking control of one's life taking control of your health um, every, I mean okay fine everybody who doesn't want a burger every now and then but if you have the opportunity to grow uh, fruits and vegetables uh, you know within your community or even in your own backyard uh, who wouldn't want that it's it's a perfect opportunity uh, to raise a community up as well as any individuals or families um, you know it causes them to be engaging into the community and also it brings more focus to the issues that are in the community too. specifically we're talking about food but not only that but poverty uh, lack of type of health care um, joblessness uh, all those things are addressed um, with that so I mean I, I know I kind of talked on, on a little bit of on a number of subjects on that but it was just really interesting and i just wanted to share that if you are interested in that article um it's found at i will make the uh link available but it is the uh, title of the article is called food apartheid the root of the problem with american america's grocers uh and that is um available online and I will make the article available too um, after this episode of the Unbuji Foodie. So please definitely look out for that. And let's start actually using the phrase of no longer using the phrase, I should say, first of food deserts, but of food apartheid. And I would love to have further conversation on that too, as well. So if you uh, would like to make a comment or you have a comment in reference to that feel free to call me here at the radio station it is 651-200-3479 again 651-200-3479 
and it's it's awesome that we have that conversation especially around times like this where we farmers markets are definitely opening and pretty much in full swing now um but you see individuals working their gardens and maybe you want to probably invest or invest your time energy and so forth in creating a community garden to help with this issue of food inequality or food justice um, and bring more focus on your community and helping out there might be ways that you could uh, to do that or maybe you have a suggestion i welcome that please so feel free to give me a call or if by at the end of the show or after the show you could always send me an email at the un, uh, the unbougie foodie at gmail.com uh, and let's continue the conversation um, along the subject of uh, food and, and health care um, I found a very interesting article um, that I want I would like love to share with you actually uh, and that is um, it's called doctors and nurses learning to treat patients with food and a great uh, organization with here in the twin cities uh, they were working with uh, the u of m you know a number of doctors and professional health professionals uh, and offering them a six-week course um, it was called food matters for health professionals um, and it pairs the art of cooking uh, with the science of actually using food as medicine. And that sounds like a far-fetched um, concept. It's not. Um, the way that it probably was said or you know, written specifically. Um, food does go hand in hand with being healthy or living a healthy lifestyle. Indeed. It's just knowing what type of foods or how to prepare food um, that will help individuals uh, live that best lifestyle. Um, the program uh, offered in part by The Good Acre located in uh, Falcon Heights, um, it covers topics such as diet uh, as well as inflammation and other importance of uh, eating uh, healthy fats. Uh, and the different types of healthy fats so what it does it teaches uh, it as an example they had an example of how it taught it um, by it's taught by a doctor and, and a chef uh, the it's a course again that's offered through the University Center for uh, spirituality and health healing and it reflects a growing awareness of the link between food and and health um, you know, students actually form teams uh, and they receive certain case studies, let's say. Um, and they'll have fictitious or fake, you know, patients and certain um, elements that they're probably struggling with. Well, the doctors and nurses and or those health professionals are then, you know, from what they've been taught, uh, they would then need to make a specific dish or come up with uh, a main dish and a side dish that would be designed to help their patient um, still be able to get that nourishment, um, but also assist in 
resolving any type of ailments that they might have. Let me put it that way. And it, it, although this is not something that's brand new um, because it's been going on nationwide, there are, are at least um, 10 other medical um, schools um, that teach the same process or this culinary medicine, if you would. Um, and that's according to the Medical Journal of uh, Population Health uh, Management. So it's not, I guess it's something that is new here and really at home or so close to home here in uh, Minnesota. And that's what makes it exciting that one, the Good Acre, which is literally, I'd say a stone's throw from uh, the agricultural area of uh, the U of M, um, they work together with them so that they can create this program uh, and teach these um, healthcare professionals um, how important it is about you know, the relation between food and health. Um, it's interesting that, you know, there one of the doctors have mentioned that for a long time, you know, they they focus on treatment rather than actual prevention. Um, they've not been incorporating the idea of eating that healthy lifestyle um, that would assist with those preventative measures um, and considering those as a preventative uh, way of, or medicine um, in which to use. So I, I just thought that was a really great article. Um, that's another one that, um, you know, uh, I'm definitely going to share. Uh, after the episode, but yeah, it was, uh, it really shows the, uh, the relation between food and how a doctor too can actually help with giving some type of suggestions and they don't even have to be a nutritionist. Of course, yes, a nutritionist, of course, is going to offer a more direct and specific way, but here, you know, a doctor or nurses or any other health professional, they'll be able to also maybe even give a suggestion. Someone comes in with some type of ailment and rather than just simply, here, here's some pills or here's a med, you know, prescription for this, um, give them, and it's not even really being a holistic way of eat this food and you'll feel better. No, it's just that preventative measures also need to be taken and if you're eating the right type of food it will prevent certain ailments from actually happening um, and like you mentioned when it's talking about inflammation in, in your joints or uh, maybe uh, your heart health and any of your organs actually your heart your kidneys um, and any internal organs even on the outside too so you know like low uh, eating more vegetables carrots specifically or broccoli for getting more vitamin d you know we live right now in a land where there's not enough sun like today we're not getting enough sun so it's important for us to uh, get those extra it's not always through taking supplements um, that we're getting the sufficient amount of nutrients um, that's needed for survival <laughs> or living a healthy lifestyle. Uh, that's what the vegetables and vegetation is for. Specifically broccoli. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that is definitely 
it's definitely um, an article uh, to consider. Um, like I said, it, it, there was a there was a whole lot of article information that I wanted to share, and this last one I remember um, sharing this specifically about um, the importance of of SNAP, um, and that's a supplemental nutri- uh, nutrition assistant program. Again, SNAP, uh, and at times it will be for it really does help those of low income so that they are able to gain get assistance food assistance um you know for if they're struggling i mean rent bills we we struggle with so many different things financially and everything like that sometimes there has to be a sacrifice of food or something but food is the largest one that people will kind of like deal do without um, when they are struggling, um, and you know, there's a, you know, the 2018 Farm Bill um, that's been introduced uh, or even proposed, I should say. It's going to really take that away or cause that to cut into any of those programs that are really helping. Um, and you know, there are ways for you as a community to uh, take a stand uh, and to get involved and speak up about that, especially, um, and it it may not be you personally that it's affecting, but if you know that there might be family, friends, neighbors, others in the community that um, are having difficulty, I mean, we are supposed to be a community and helping one another. You may not be able to financially go over and give someone, you know, finances or funds or so forth to feed their families but if there are programs that are available and you see that the government is trying to cut that um why not stand up and uh, take a stand uh, or let your voice be heard um feeding america uh an article um, called feeding america talks about african-american households they face hunger on a rate more than twice that of uh, whites, non-Hispanic households. Um, so it's a constant struggle for one in four black children to get, um, you know, the food that they need. So if you want to fight this bill, um, here are a few steps or things that you could actually do. One, you could call Capitol Hill. (laughs) And if you want the telephone number, it is 202-224-3131. Three two, but then also, you know, there of course, you know, you can tweet a member of Congress. You know, you can talk about these issues and make an impact in your community. But specifically, if you're going to call, you know, Capitol Hill, there are some things that you want to actually say or mention. You know, that being, you know, you want to. Uh, connect be connected to your senator or to your representative of your state uh, ask to speak to a member of congress always make sure that you're you're giving your name your address and explain that you want you you do believe in the bill but you don't support um you do believe that the bill does not support uh poor and working families even though they're saying that it it should um 
tell them about the issues that you have about food insecurity and how it affects you personally as well as your community and it doesn't have to be long very very brief and just you know simply thank them for their time um and that's really it but again i'll, I'll give that information a little bit further after the after uh today's show um but again calling capitol hill and just make sure that they don't take away food basically from out of the mouths of children and families um especially if they are already struggling with paying bills and taking care of things for their household um food is an integral part of us as humans um and what better way uh, if there's a program that's out there um, utilize it so that it's not it's not going to uh, so you won't have that struggle definitely utilize it so anyway you know, we are slowly coming to the top of the hour. And I know that it has been uh, such a um, interesting time in just in the articles and everything, as well as uh, what I have been talking about. Um, but if you have any type of concerns or suggestions about the show, you know, I, I welcome them again. Um, so please reach out to me, uh, the umbujifoodie at gmail.com, um, where we'll have more and more opportunities to converse um, about you know these topics. Uh, and it's remember, this show is for you. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to have a voice within the community as well. So uh, as we're coming to a close, I want to once again, thank you all so much for uh, sitting down with me. Um, just know that I am here every week, um, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Uh, and like I say, and end every show, never let anyone tell you what type of foodie to be. Because really, it is all about the food. Until next week, peace. Food Day.